Good morning. It's Sunday, February 14th. Welcome to this at-home resource delivered online for your spiritual growth during this continued time of pandemic. Today we're going to look at another benefit of baptism, how we have a sure defense. Our God and our Lord and our Savior has not only redeemed us, but also then providentially protects us, including in the remarkable ministry of angels. We'll look at that today to see what it is we have as a sure defense, uh, given by our status as baptized children of God. God bless you today as you worship him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let us confess our sins to the Lord. Holy God, gracious Father, I am sinful by nature and have sinned against you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved others as I should. I deserve your punishment both now and forever. But Jesus, my Savior, paid for my sins with his innocent suffering and death. Trusting in him, I pray, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Our gracious Father in heaven has been merciful to us. He sent his only Son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ, and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In peace let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace from above, and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Everlasting God, you have ordained and constituted in a wonderful order the ministries of angels and mortals. Mercifully grant that as your holy angels always serve and worship you in heaven, so by your direction they may help and defend us here on earth. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. The reading is Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 12. The devil rages on earth because he has been cast out of heaven. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by their word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you, 
He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The psalm of the day is Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. If you make the Most High your dwelling, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. For He will command His angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The Holy Gospel is Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 20. The kingdom of God advances against the kingdom of the devil. The seventy-two whom Jesus had sent out returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ.
The Christian author C.S. Lewis once said there are two equal but opposite errors to fall into on the topic of spiritual beings and their role in our universe. One error is to just rule out the spiritual reality entirely and conclude, therefore, that matter is all that exists, and any feeling you might have is nothing but brain chemistry. There's really just matter. Philosophers call this materialism. The other is to adopt an excessive and unhealthy obsession with all things supernatural, such that you lose touch with the life God has called you to lead right now. This can become a sort of obsessive uh, spiritual superstition. Now, in today's gospel from Luke chapter 10, the Lord Jesus rules both of these errors out by offering a frank revelation about the spiritual realm, along with a word that puts the supernatural and particularly the demonic in proper perspective. So today we're going to dig into that topic with a bit more detail and see how our baptism connects us to a key benefit, a sure defense in this world of good and evil. There won't be enough time to answer every question and satisfy every doubt, of course, but we can see the big picture about the beings fighting the battle between good and evil, and the conclusion we find is that Jesus Jesus has a, a clear and joyful conviction to teach us, that Jesus wins in the war of the words. Now, the matter of angels and demons is a good time to start with the reminder that all Christian teaching is built on the teaching of Jesus. For example, his view of Scripture as inspired by God and inerrant in all things, that's our view of Scripture, because it was Christ's. His approach to mercy and justice is our approach to mercy and justice, and the same is true on a topic like this. His view of the spiritual realm, even the demonic, is the basis for the Christian's view on the topic. And what is that view? Well, Jesus reveals that good and evil exist not only as moral categories, but that there are actually good beings and evil beings bent on either destruction or protection. In fact, Jesus calls one of those beings by name. He calls him Satan, which means the accuser or the enemy, the one who works not alone but with a vast number of other powerful beings. But those aren't just mere forces either. They're not just influences. They're actual personal beings with a will of their own, relentlessly focused on claiming every square inch of reality for the cause of darkness. That's what they're up to. So Jesus sees the universe as one where the natural and the supernatural are intricately interwoven into a single fabric of reality. In fact, when you scan through the gospel accounts of Jesus' own confrontation with the demonic, you find in every instance that the demonic evil was interwoven with some physical reality. And by the way, that's precisely why clear-thinking Christians take a unique approach to the problem of evil in the world. We avoid those two simplistic, error-prone approaches. One that says all problems of evil and suffering can be solved with nothing but moral training, education, and effort. That's the view that thinks of the world as nothing but matter and brain chemistry. But we also avoid the other simplistic approach that takes everything as purely spiritual, where every evil is because the devil made you do it, the little red guy who pops up over the shoulder, or that, that there must be something beyond our control that we simply can't address in any way, this sort of spiritual fatalism almost and cynicism. 
Now, we recognize as believers that our body and our soul is corrupted and caught up in this evil so much that we confess with full awareness that we are ourselves sinful by nature. There is evil woven into our physical and spiritual existence so that sometimes we are actively involved in wrongdoing and sometimes we're ambushed by it. But we have both. And you think about it, I mean, why else without that conviction would would Christians be the first to really make hospitals a thing? Because physical suffering needs physical care and physical care is an extension of spiritual reality. It wouldn't make sense if this world is nothing but an illusion to run hospitals, and yet Christians started them because they realized that there is body and soul. Christians, in a similar way, we don't see things like addiction only as a moral problem, but as a physical one as well. We don't, we're not going to be simplistic about it. It's why we confront poverty and oppression, not merely with, I'll pray for your soul, but also, here's a blanket, here's food. We recognize with Jesus that the attacks of the evil evil one come on both fronts, natural and supernatural, physical and spiritual. Thus, the defense must come on both fronts, and the restorative work must come on both fronts. Christians take this approach based on the knowledge Jesus revealed here, that there's a battle on two fronts, and an awareness of this fact is a powerful thing. But there's a power even greater in what Jesus said in today's gospel, not just the background information. He says even that the demonic are vulnerable to a particular kind of power. You see, often when people imagine the biblical view of angels and demons, they read something like we read in today's reading from Revelation about a war in heaven, and they picture something that looks like the climax of a superhero movie where the screen is filled with largely invincible warriors, you know, bouncing and banging off each other as they pound their fists against against one another. But the battle between good and evil isn't really like that. In, in the end, it's more of a war of words. It's not about who has the most warriors or the strongest swords. It's about which side has authority over the disputed territory of humanity. So at its root, the battle between good and evil is about two competing claims over the world and its inhabitants. On the one hand is Satan, the being by, the Bible tells us was part of God's original good creation of all the holy angels, but who rebelled against God because he wanted to take the the spot of the Most High. He was jealous and envious. He wanted to be like God. In fact, the this that's the sin of that, that Satan used to tempt Adam and Eve, right, to fall into sin into sin in the very beginning, to take the steps to say, you know, I'm the Most High. No one can have any say over me. No standard will judge me. I'm free. I'm a free agent in this world of mine. I answer to no one but myself. I have no responsibility towards others. I am the Most High. But the stunning irony is, of course, that any time you or I or any human being thinks that we've set up a little kingdom of our own, you know, we actually haven't done that. We've just joined the kingdom of darkness, and we've been duped into thinking it was our own kingdom. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. And so they rebelled from God, but found themselves enslaved to a different kind of kingdom instead. And since that time, sin has been a part of existence for every human being. And because of this, Satan then stands before the seat of God as an accuser, making a claim over you. He seeks to establish his dominion over earth and its inhabitants by saying, God, look at what they've done. Look at how they've turned from your noble purposes and disobeyed your holy standards. Look at the suffering their conduct has caused in the lives of others. Look at what their stewardship of the earth has done to your creation. Look in their heart, God. 
And you see the secret sins they hide from their spouse and children, from their parents and friends and their co-workers, the ones they even hide from themselves. They're not yours, are they? They're rebels. They're not on your side. They're on mine. They're with me. Those are the accusations of Satan. And they are, of course, very real and completely true. Satan can prove them. He has evidence. And if Satan's accusations were validated in the heavenly court, then God's own perfect justice would require him to turn each and every sinner away from his face and send them to face the infinite punishment that results from rebellion against the infinite. And we all believe in justice. We want things to be fair and right and moral. We, we admit it every day when we say, you know, that's not fair or that's not right or I wish things were this way. We're saying we think there's a sense of justice. And if we're going to say that, then we have to admit that God's sense of justice would rightfully banish us based on the evidence at hand that the accuser can present. So what evidence would you then offer to counter this claim over you? I mean, we don't have much. I mean, you may have years of good deeds in your account, but can you say for certain you've never done something that was good on the outside for a reason that was ugly on the inside? You've largely been faithful at work and in life, but you can say, can you say you possess a holiness and thought, emotion and conduct that matches the Most High God? What counterclaim can you offer that is even close to strong enough to overcome the claims of the devil? Besides, here's the thing about rebellion. If, if an American soldier deserts or rebels, there's not a do-over. It's not, oh, that was a little slip-up, a minor mistake. A, a rebellion is, is a clear stand against what everyone else holds true and dear. What counterclaim can we offer that can overcome the evidence that we are rebels? Of course, the answer is none. There is none that we can offer. We have no words in this war of words. But we have someone who does. Jesus stands in the heavenly court as well, you know. He is God's son, and he has a claim as well. And He says, Father, you cannot judge them for their sins because I have been judged for their sins already. My blood spilled on the cross for them. Satan's accusations find their answer in me. I am holy, yet I was cursed. I am righteous, yet I was forsaken. I am merciful, yet I was shown no mercy. I am the source of life, yet I died. And yes, I was dead, but now I am alive. And I stand as the head, the representative of all who call on my name. They are mine, they are yours. Let justice now be served and grace be given. And with the powerful words of Christ, backed up by the glorious deeds of Christ, the accusations of Satan are thrown out of the heavenly court, dismissed with prejudice, and he with them. When the Bible talks about Michael and all the angels and their ministry of power and protection, it's describing basically the most magnificent bailiffs known to man. They toss the accusing counsel out of the courtroom and hound him and his evil followers with the gracious verdict ruled on your account. Jesus wins the war of the words. Jesus said he saw this very thing taking place again and again as his 72 missionaries were going out about announcing the good news of the kingdom of Christ. That's because the front line of this battle is where the gospel is proclaimed. The struggle is the mightiest always in the context where Christians are trying to do mission work. And why? Because Satan's claim cannot stand before God. That's a lost cause. But he can work his hardest to make sure no one ever hears it 
or take seriously the good news. Which means you are at the epicenter of the natural and supernatural, the physical and the spiritual, and against this little gathering, against you, are arrayed forces beyond your comprehension and beyond your power, and they've got a spy on the inside, you and your fallen nature. Yet the outcome of this conflict, here on the front lines, is not in question. Because the blood of the Lamb is here today, the promise of Christ has become yours in baptism, the word of Christ wins the day that endures forever. You have been baptized into Christ. His verdict stands over you. The accusations cannot hold. You are redeemed and made holy in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Apostles' Creed I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord's Prayer Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen.